Have a seat. How are you? Oh, very Merry Christmas to all of you. Thanks for being here and enjoying our uh, Christmas Eve service with us. You know, uh, the first two services, I'm not exaggerating, every seat in the house was filled. We had people over in the overflow in both services. But I'm going to tell you, this crowd, you came to sing. So you get the singing trophy. You guys are awesome. Well, it's really great to ha uh, see you. Um, so do you have all of your Christmas shopping done? Yes, sir. You better because you're kind of running out of time. <laughs> Invariably, though, there's always somebody at our Christmas Eve service and they're going, like, oh, I still got a little bit of time. And they go, I, I can get everything I need at HEB. <laughs> So tomorrow, some of you are going to be opening your gifts. And you're going to go, oh, salsa, just what I always wanted. Thank you so much. So do you have anybody on your Christmas list that's really hard to shop for? Yes. Yeah. There's usually like three types of people that are really hard to buy for. Um, the first of all is there's people who give you no clues. They don't make a list. They don't drop any hints. In fact, most of the time, these people will kind of deflect the question. And you say, what would you like for Christmas? And they go, world peace. <laughs> and you go, no, no, really, what do you want for Christmas? They go, I, I just want us all to be happy and healthy. And you go, no, come on, Grandpa, what do you want for Christmas? And they're like, I, I just want us all to be together tomorrow and have fun. Now, older people are generally sincere about that. They, they're sort of like, I don't need anything. But if they're younger, don't believe them for a second. In fact, there's times you're kind of tempted to call their bluff. Just don't buy them anything for Christmas. And we'll see how happy they are that we're all together on Christmas Day when they don't get any gifts. So people that don't give you any clues are really hard to buy for. Uh, the second group of people, those are the people that are very particular about what they like. They're very finicky about their stuff. And so they want a certain brand and a certain model and a certain style and a certain fabric. They, they want it exactly like they imagine it in their head. And you've been doing this for years and you know you're going to get them the gift. And on the 26th, they're just going to take it back and exchange it. So here's my words of advice to you. Two words, gift cards. Just give them gift cards. Now I have on good authority that people like that, I might know someone of that kind of nature. Um, gift cards are not a cop-out. You give them a gift card and they're like, this is awesome, I get to go and buy exactly what I want. And then the third group of people that are really hard to buy for are people that seem to have everything. And that's not necessarily means they have a lot of money, they're just kind of accustomed that when they want something, they just go and get it. So by the time Christmas rolls around, they have everything they want. They have the new sweater and the new shoes and the new driver and the new five iron and the new putter. They, they have it all. And so they're really hard to buy for because they don't need anything. You know anybody like that? So it was interesting. About two weeks ago, I was reading this, this article. And um, whether you're much into sports or not, you probably recognize the name Michael Jordan. Arguably the greatest basketball player of all time. 
LeBron's not even in the discussion, so let's just level that, okay? Um, so Michael Jordan, and he had this incredibly successful career, set records that perhaps will never be broken. Six-time NBA champion, six-time NBA Finals MVP, five times NBA MVP, and again, records that are just unparalleled. And he had an incredibly uh, successful career, 15 years in the NBA. And he, ha he was just so popular. And he's leveraged his success and his popularity on the basketball court into his life in retirement. And now uh, he has a very successful career as a businessman. In fact, um, he's, his net worth is estimated to be around three point something billion with a B. So with that kind of money, he can just really do anything he wants. He has, he has several multi, multi-million dollar mansions that he can choose from. He has his own private jet. He has not one, but two multi, multi-million dollar yachts. He has his own golf course. He has a car collection that's estimated to be around eight and a half million dollars. One of his cars, just one car in his collection is worth over three million dollars. So I was reading this article and I think, what do you get that guy for Christmas? I mean, it appears as though he has everything. And what was so interesting about the article, the article was about his famous um, contract that he has with Nike you know, the athletic apparel and shoe manufacturer. And since the time he was a rookie, he had this just sweet deal. And so here's what the article was highlighting. That Nike pays Michael Jordan what amounts to $6 million. Are you ready? Are you ready? $6 million every eight days. Every eight days, like once a week, he gets a check for $6 million. Most of us could probably live on that, couldn't we? So the guy literally has everything that money could buy. And so I ended up reading some more about Michael Jordan. And one thing I didn't read is I didn't read anything about him receiving the greatest gift ever given. There was nothing about him having the gift that matters the most. And, you know, I guess I could, could ask that about you, every one of us. Have you ever received the greatest gift ever given? The one gift that all the money in the world can't buy. Or as Durrell so poetically explained earlier in the service, that one gift that we can't afford... Yet, the one gift we can't afford to ignore. Have you ever received that one? So, weeks ago, when I started praying about what I would share on Christmas Eve, I, I asked God, what, what, what do you want me to talk about this Christmas? And what I sensed his response was, make sure that everybody who comes to Christmas Eve clearly understands what Christmas is really all about. And so I started studying and I started doing some research. Like, how would I answer the question, what is Christmas really all about? 
And the more I dug down into that, I, uh, I went back and I was like, God, are you sure? I mean, like Christmas is a big deal and the Christmas Eve service is a big deal. I mean, there'll be a lot of people on our campus and a lot of them will be guests to our church first time. And we're going to have all these people, different ages, children and seniors, people of all sorts of different perspectives and beliefs from the perspective of religion. And so I got us. I don't know. There's a lot of expectations around Christmas Eve. People want it a certain way. And so I, was, I don't know. I was just imagining something a bit more Christmassy. You know, something more silent night, holy night, something more away in the manger, no crib for a bed. God, I, I think I was imagining something a bit more heartwarming and hot chocolate-like. And his response was, just make sure that everybody who comes to Christmas Eve clearly understands what Christmas is really all about. So... We know where Jesus was born. We know some of the who that surrounded the birth of Jesus and some of what was going on. But do we know why Jesus was born? Do we really understand why Jesus was born? So that, that baby that was born in Bethlehem some 2000 years ago, he grew up and he became a rabbi. A rabbi is a spiritual or religious leader in a Jewish community. And Jesus was uniquely a, an itinerant rabbi. He didn't really live in one city. He didn't really serve just one synagogue. He sort of traveled around his region and sharing his message with whoever would listen. And primarily the message of Jesus was about life and faith and how they work together. Jesus was trying to help people understand, how do I go about living my life with faith? Faith simply means trust, and particularly trust in God. And faith is simply believing that whatever God says is true, whether I can see it, whether I can touch it, whether I can put it under a microscope and, you know, validate it by the scientific method. It's, it's by faith that I trust that what God says is true. And Jesus was simply trying to help people understand, how do I go about living my life in a way that trusts God? And he talked about a lot of different things. But there were a couple of things that he talked about more than others. They were sort of his favorite topics. Or maybe they were just urgent in his mind. And one of those conversations that Jesus seemed to bring up a lot, whether he was talking to individuals one-on-one -on -one in a conversation or he was talking to multitudes who were listening to him teach. One of the conversations that Jesus had a lot was he wanted people to understand there's some things that are temporal or temporary. And then there are some things that are eternal or everlasting. And Jesus was primarily saying this. He says, you're wise. You're a wise person if you pursue the things that last for an eternity. And conversely, you're kind of foolish if you chase after the things that don't last, especially if you chase after the things that are temporal at the neglect of the things that are eternal. 
Now, Jesus was very clear. He, he didn't want people to understand that temporal or temporary things are bad or wrong. They just don't last. And he wanted people to understand that the culture and the society that we live in often makes a lot of fuss about the temporal things. And sometimes our culture makes a fuss about temporal things and dismisses or demeans the eternal things. Oh, you, you don't have to believe in that. That stuff doesn't exist. So, like, we live in a world that places a lot of emphasis on education or degrees. There's nothing wrong with education and degrees. In fact, they're good things. They're wonderful opportunities and resources for life. Jesus just wanted everyone to understand there's nothing wrong with education and degrees. They just don't last. What he wanted people to understand is that in eternity, it doesn't matter what university you attended or what degrees you have. Money is an enormously valuable asset in life. It provides for the things that we need and the things we want to enjoy. Nothing wrong with money, but it doesn't last. Jesus was very clear in explaining that you can't buy your way into eternity. And the things that money can buy. You know, our possessions, the homes, and the cars, and the clothes, and the lifestyle, and the vacations... There's nothing wrong with that, except it doesn't last. What's that old adage? You've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? You can't take it with you. Or just the ambitions and the successes and the achievements of life. There's nothing wrong with those. They just don't last. So Jesus would explain to whoever would listen that it's kind of bound up in the heart of human beings to be attracted to and enchanted with and seduced by the temporal things that we can see and touch. We're kind of inclined to doubt and dismiss the eternal things because we can't see them. And Jesus warned his audiences time and time again that that it was bound up in our heart to be attracted to the things that didn't last. And that foolishness, that's just another word for sin. Our sinfulness. That it's kind of the effect of sin on the human heart that leaves us blind and deceived by the things that don't really matter against the things that truly do. So, so there's a story that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke, and it's a wonderful story, though just one problem with it. It doesn't have anything to do with Christmas. And I was like, really? God, just, just tell them the story. And the story is about a man who had everything, and yet he had nothing. The story is found in uh, Luke chapter 12. And we read this. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my harvest, my crops. Then he said, well, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll just build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. 
And then I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for years to come. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Then Jesus ends with this. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Do you see it? Do you see the one eternal thing in all of life? The only thing in this life that lasts for an eternity? Do you see it? It's, it's, it's your soul. You know, your soul that God designed and then created and then he gave to you. And according to this passage, it seems as though there will come a time in every one of our lives where God's going to ask for that soul back. And Jesus warns us as human beings about the risk of standing before the living God someday and have absolutely nothing to show for ourselves, to have all of the world's possessions and yet to be completely bankrupt in your soul. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus posed one of the most haunting questions in all of all of time. He asked the question, what good, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? There's, there's no price in all the world that's equal to it. Our money can't buy our soul. The trophies of life can't win our soul. Even our best good works can't save our soul. So it's possible to possess everything in the world and yet have nothing for eternity. Years ago, I read a book titled Halftime. It was written by a man who was a multimillionaire. He had a very successful cable television company in Dallas. He had everything money could buy. He had one son. One child who was the apple of his eye. And at about the age 28, his son drowned. And he lost everything. And he sat back as a dad who had missed some of the opportunities with his son because of his enormous commitment to his career. And it really caused him to ask some really important questions in life. And one of the questions I think is a question that needs to be asked, but very few people ever ask it. And it's the question, what will I lose with all my gaining? What will I lose with all of my gaining? So if we use our imagination a bit, it's not hard to picture that God at some time in history past sat on the precipices of heaven and he looked down at the earth that he created 
and the people that he placed on it. And as their creator, he could look at these human beings and he could see their capacity, their capabilities, their amazing talents, and and their genius and what they were capable of. And we can imagine God asking the question, what do I give a world that has everything? And he said, "I, I know what it'll be. I'll give them the one thing they need the most. I'll give them the one thing that all the money in the world can't buy. I'll give them something for their soul. I'll give them what their soul needs. And what their soul needs is a savior. You see that sin that pervades the human heart? It separates us from a holy and righteous God. We're doomed. We're in this this eternally precarious predicament. And one evening, some 2,000 years ago, God gave the world the greatest gift ever given. That's why the birth of Jesus is such a big deal for us as Christians around the world and for centuries now. It's the one gift we can't afford. It's the one gift we can't afford to do without. Jesus. And suddenly when we get that, we start to understand maybe some of the things that we've been reading for years as part of the Christmas story. They suddenly start to make new sense. Little clues that we read in the narrative of Jesus' birth that maybe had never really taken on their proper significance. I think of like Joseph. He was engaged to Mary. But Mary was found to be pregnant and he knew he wasn't the father. And so he considered just going their separate ways. But we read this in Matthew chapter 1. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save people from their sins. That blindness that deceives us about the things that are temporary at the neglect of the things that are eternal. We read in uh, Luke's account of the birth of Christ about the shepherds who were out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. And we read, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A a what? A savior. A savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The Apostle Paul probably said it as succinctly as any author of scripture in the book of Romans chapter 6. When he said the wages of sin, that deception, that blindness that leads us to chase after the things that don't last. The wages of sin is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life. And it's found where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote most of the New Testament, he, he finds himself suddenly at a loss for words. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 9. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What is the gift? Jesus. Jesus, the Savior for our soul. That's, that's why for, for Christians, Christmas is all about being grateful. It's about being thankful. It's being grateful for the birth of Jesus who would become a savior by providing reconciliation between us and God. That he would give to us the gift of salvation that would make our soul right with God so that when he asks for it back, we are prepared. It's not that Christians aren't sinners. We're, we're still kind of prone to chasing after the things that are temporary. But what we have is that we're right with God because of our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And our soul has been rescued from the danger and the peril that it was in. But for others, Christmas is not that. For some they're just not interested in the Jesus part of Christmas. Some are just still not convinced that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Others are still confused. And I watch so many other people just try to make all the faiths work. All the religious leaders are just one and the same. All roads lead to heaven, but they're not. And so my encouragement to you is don't risk another Christmas accumulating more of the world's possessions while neglecting the one and only gift that can meet your greatest need. A quote that I, that I found in college that stuck with me my whole life. It was a missionary who wrote in his journal, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Now, I won't be able to know if you ever actually do this. It's something to consider. Tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, I urge every one of you to take just a few minutes and look around you at all the gifts that have been opened. You know, that after opening chaos when your living room is covered in ribbon and wrapping paper and tissue paper and envelopes and boxes I, I encourage you just just look around and then ask yourself honestly which one of these gifts will save my soul Just look around and ask, which one of these new items will make me right with God? I mean, I can wear them, I can play with them, I can use them, I can enjoy them, I can even share them. But can I get into heaven with any of them? And just ponder quietly what that means to your soul. And if somewhere in the stillness of that reflection, the words of Jesus come to mind, they start to make sense. I am the way. 
I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you get that, then you get the true meaning of Christmas. If you get that, you understand why we celebrate the birth of Jesus like we do. Because Jesus is the one gift we can't afford, yet the one gift we can't afford to ignore. He's a savior for our soul. Does that make sense? So before we leave this evening, we want to sing one more song together. And we need you guys to help us. So underneath your chair, you'll find a candle. There's a a button on the bottom where you can turn it on. And I'm going to ask you if you'll stand together as we sing this song. And do whatever you would like with the candle. You can hold it in front of you. Kids of all ages will be drawing stuff. We know that. At some point when the song sort of reaches its crescendo, you can raise your candle high as an expression of your gratitude for Jesus, our Savior, who was born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. Sleep. 